This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Would you stand with us? So we get ready to uh, step into this message and revisit a series that we preached almost a year ago. This whole series anchored in a passage of Scripture. And so this morning as we get ready to start this message, I just wanted us to stand in the presence of God's Word. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's remarkable that God has given us His Word and that when we visit His Word, it's literally that God is in our midst. So I'm going to read out of Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1 today. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles and then in verse 10 out of Psalm 103 he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us let's pray God as we pause and look into your word today. For many of us, what we're going to talk about isn't new. It's not brand new information. We're not going to be glamored by by something that, that we've never heard before. But I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit today, that as we revisit the benefits of a relationship with you, that you would call out of us something that we don't even know exists there. Call us to a new level of obedience today. God, challenge whether we're living in the full benefits of a relationship with you today so that we, God, we can change even more into the image of your son, Jesus. That's our prayer today, God. Do it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
up here and playing for me. Now, this series that we're in today, we're finishing a five-week series called The Best Of. You voted in the month of July on the, the best sermon series that we preached over the last year. And, and I'm, I'm really happy that this one got voted in. It's called Friends with Benefits. Kind of a fun play on words because that terminology in our culture means something a, a little bit different than we intend for it to mean, right? I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge that. But Psalm 103, as we just read, is, is a psalm written by King David. And, and he says at the very beginning of this, soul speaking to himself, don't forget the benefits that God has given you. Don't forget the benefits. That there are benefits to a relationship with God. It's a, it's a reality that we as, as Christ followers need to step into. And I'm praying that this morning as we look at that, that some of you will go, oh, that's what God wants for me. There's a moment in, in the ministry of Jesus that I'd like to take you to. It happens in John 15, which is kind of smack dab in the middle of the gospel of John. John is this wonderful gospel story of Jesus that shows the divinity of God, shows how powerful Jesus was. It's really the supernatural gospel. But there's this very natural, normal moment right in the middle of it where Jesus is with his followers. And in John 15, 15, he says something to them that I think is one of the greatest invitations we've ever been given. He says this, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I've called you friends. Think about that with me today. That Jesus would look on us, the people who have made a choice to follow him, and he would say, I, I don't even call you a servant. Here, here's the invitation. You can experience a friendship with me. What a, what a powerful thing to know. See, if you think about it, a servant and a friend, well, they look a lot alike, don't they? They oftentimes do the same thing. A servant will show up and help you move, won't they? If you pay them. Right? You guys, tomorrow morning, you're going to go somewhere probably to work. And you're going to go because they pay you. You go because you have to. A servant does what a servant does because they have to do it. But a friend, a friend does what they do because they want to. And Jesus says, I no longer call you servants call you friends. See, there's some benefits to living in a friendship with God. Y'all know that, right? Friends show up and help you move. Aren't you excited about that? Some of y'all have moved recently, and you know what I'm talking about. You're glad that you've got friends that show up when you have some hard times, and not because they have to do it, not because you're paying them, but because they want to. They love you, and they want to be there. That's a good thing. There's some benefits the friendship, and, and actually, benefits are important. Think about your jobs, right? How many of you go look into a job, think about taking a new job without weighing out what the benefits are? Let me point something out about benefits, too, that you may not have noticed. 
When you sit down and look at the benefits in a job that you're about to step into, maybe about to sign a contract, the benefits from that job not only affect you, but they affect your family as well, don't they? I want you to see something as we go through this today, that not only are the benefits of a relationship with God for you, but they spill over into every other relationship that you have. So let's get to work, okay? The first benefit, the first benefit comes from that passage of Scripture, Psalm 103 that we listed, that God forgives us. God forgives us, all right? David says, who forgives all your sins. How many of y'all are excited today that God is a forgiving God? I am. You know why I am? I'm excited because I need a lot of forgiveness. <laughs> right? I know I do. I don't know if you know that about yourself, but you probably do too. Right? And, and in this passage of Scripture, through the beauty of, of God's Word, he really takes us into a, a texture of understanding the completeness of God's forgiveness. See, a lot of times when we think about forgiveness, we think about it in such a way, well, it's a, oh, that, that's okay. I forgive you. But I want you to see how deep the forgiveness of God goes. As a matter of fact, I, I, would, I would point you to this. This is kind of taking some of the, the, the mass from the, the series a year ago, condensing it down into one sentence. God removes our transgressions remembers our sins no more, and releases us from all our iniquities. He removes our transgressions, remembers our sins no more, and releases us from all our iniquities. There's several words that are used there, and you're going to see this in just a moment, that in Psalm 103, beginning in verse 10, David, as he's writing about the benefits of a relationship with God, David begins to use those words, transgressions, iniquity. Let me help you understand those, okay? Transgressions are the sins that we commit when we act on it. We, we've done something. We have transgressed the law. That's the, the legal term that you have. There's a law and you, there was a line that you crossed, okay? There has been action on top of it. And, and in this passage, David says that God has removed our transgressions. He chooses to remember our sins no more. Let me, let me just help you something uh, today. Those of you that are struggling with forgiveness, okay? Listen, God never says that he forgets, okay? Not, not in the way that we like to think about forgetfulness. God chooses not to remember. He makes an active choice not to remember. That's a part of forgiveness. And God makes that active choice in our sinfulness. God chooses to remember our sins no more and releases us from our iniquities. Now, just understand this. Iniquities, if transgressions are the things that we do, iniquity is the stuff that happens on the inside of us. Which is why when you fast forward to Jesus, the understanding of sin had only rested in transgression. And so he's questioned about uh, adultery and divorce. And Jesus says, hey, let me, let me just help, help you understand this. If a, if a man has ever looked on a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery in his heart. He's talking about iniquity. That there are things that happen on the inside of us. And God 
completely forgives us. Let me, let me read from, from Psalm 103 again, beginning in verse 10. I want you to see this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. How many of y'all are thankful for that today? I mean, he doesn't treat us as our, I mean, our sins, right? There, there's something, and you're going to see as we walk through this passage, there, there are things that we deserved. He doesn't treat us that way. He does not treat us as our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. There's that word. He doesn't repay us according to the things that have happened on the inside of our hearts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, the things that we have done from us. That's the picture of forgiveness. Would you understand that not only in a relationship that you have with God and that friendship that God has given us, that's also what forgiveness looks like in a relationship that you have with someone else. That we choose to separate behavior from person. I choose to forget. And God has forgiven us. But it doesn't stop there. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. The second benefit is God heals us. Now, one thing is very interesting there, and this happens all throughout the Bible, especially when the Bible talks about healing. The Bible talks a lot about healing. It's often coupled with who forgives our sins and heals our diseases. You'll see this in another passage in just a moment. Here's why I want you to understand, just a little background. We didn't need to be healed until sin came along. See, God created us to be perfect. He created humanity to be perfect. There was no disease. We weren't supposed to die. But Adam and Eve, right, they chose death over life. God said, you, you eat from that, you're going to die. They made the choice to embrace death, and through sin, illness, sickness entered the world. And so oftentimes when we see healing presented in Scripture, it's coupled with the forgiveness of sins because those two things are remarkably connected. And I want you to see this in maybe one of the greatest Messianic chapters in all the Bible, Isaiah 53. It's a prophetic chapter years before Jesus would ever step foot on the earth. The prophet Isaiah is speaking about him. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says this. Y'all pay attention to this. He was wounded for our transgressions. There's that word again, transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Think, just stop right there and think about that. Transgression is what we do outwardly. Iniquity is what exists inwardly. Think about the, the different types of wounds that are being described here. He was wounded outwardly for our transgressions. He was wounded inwardly. That's what a bruise is for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. So here's what I want you to see today. No matter what illness you're facing, whether it is the illness of sin, whether it is a, an illness that has affected your body, 
Jesus has paid the price for our healing. And because death entered the world, some of us will never experience total healing until we experience it in glory with Jesus. But he's paid the price for us to have that healing. God heals us. The third benefit is that God redeems us. God redeems us. Now, I don't know if you're, you know, I'm, I'm 37 years old, and so I don't know if you have this kind of shared memory of your childhood. Some of you do. When, when I think of the word redeem, I, I often think of Chuck E. Cheese. How many of y'all have been to Chuck E. Cheese before? I love Chuck E. Cheese. Not anymore, right? I did when I was a child, and it's a cesspool of germs. I know that now, right? I love that ball pit. I'm pretty sure I went to the doctor every time I came out of that thing, right? But, but it, when I think of the word redeem, I think of Chuck E. Cheese, which is where you would go play that little ski ball game, right, where you throw the ball and you get all these tickets, and you could go to the redemption counter, and you could redeem the tickets for a pack of gum, right? I just spent $20, and I bought a 25-cent pack of gum, right? Doesn't make any sense at all, but for a kid, that's awesome, right? I earned a pack of gum. You didn't earn anything, right? I, I think that sells that word a little short. When David writes in this psalm that God redeems us, he says that he redeems our life from the pit, the word that David is using to speak of redemption is really a word that would more accurately talk about slavery. It would more accurately describe slavery. So much so, this is what I would tell you today from, from that, that God has bought us out of the slavery of sin, paying the full price for our freedom. God has bought us out of slavery to sin, paying the full price for our freedom. You see, sin wasn't just a, a, a random choice that Adam and Eve made. As we come to understand, as the story begins to in it kind of evolve after that one moment, that one grand mistake that allowed sin to enter the world. Sin is a nature that we're born into. That the goodness of God that, that was implanted in us, the image of God is broken because of sin. And we're born, as Romans would describe it, we're born under Adam. We're born with a nature that is sinful. That's why you don't have to teach your kids to be bad. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. God, work real hard to teach them to be good, don't you? And so sin has, in that nature, enslaved us. It has brought us into slavery. And as anybody would understand in dealing with slavery, there is always a price that is put on top of something that's enslaved. 
And the price to get anyone out of that kind of slavery, as God had described and designed it, was a life. Really what it should have been was to get you out of the bondage of slavery. It should have taken your life because that's what God said in Genesis 1 and 2. If you eat from that, you're going to die. Sin is going to kill you. So God said, instead of you dying, I'm going to send my son and let him die for you. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Now, one of the best pictures of this moment is found in an Old Testament story. It's in the, the book of Hosea. Hosea is a, a prophet. Let's just say he's kind of a preacher in a small town. Y'all know how preachers are in small towns. Everybody knows what they do, right? Everybody knows where they live. They know what their family's like. If their kids are crazy, everybody knows that their kids are crazy. And one day God says, Hosea, I want you to marry this woman named Gomer. Now, we live in North Carolina, y'all. I know that when I say Gomer, y'all think of this guy right here, don't you? That's what I say. I know, Right? But, but really, think of, think of this right here. This is what you need to think of. That's Giselle, all right? As the, as the Bible describes her, she's, she's a very beautiful woman. A, a very beautiful woman. But she's a prostitute. And so, Hosea goes and purchases her, brings her back home. And they start to make a life together. They have some kids. And I don't know if it was the moment where the kids were very young and life was very burdensome for them. I don't know what happens. The scripture doesn't really give us a great clue as to what happens. But one day, Gomer decides, I don't want this life anymore. And she runs off leaving Hosea with the kids. And that story, while it would be powerful in and of itself right there, doesn't end there. Because God wanted to, through the story of Hosea, give us a picture of his love for us. And so in Hosea 3, Hosea records when God speaks to him again concerning his wife. Hosea 3, verse 1. Then God ordered me, start all over. Love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. You could change that and put your name in there. Love her the way that I, God, love Kevin. I, God, love you. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. See, the picture of God's redemption 
is in what happens after that moment where you can imagine pre-turn, uh, an, a, a BC slave market. Where next up on the block is a woman. She's a prostitute. She's been used a few times. She's kind of been around. Does anybody want to start the bidding? And from the, the, the back of the auction hall, from the back of the slave market, you hear Hosea say, I'll buy her whatever the cost. Whatever it takes to buy her back, I will pay it. See, that's exactly what God did for you when he redeemed you. God said, whatever the price, whatever it cost, I see you trapped in sin. I will pay for you to get out of it. And he doesn't just bring you back to leave you in slavery to him or in servitude to him. Actually, look at what Galatians 4 says. Galatians 4 says this, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. God didn't just redeem you, purchase you out so that you could be his slave. He purchased you so that you could be his kid. So that you could experience the most intimate of friendship with him. Which leads to really what the next benefit is. David says in Psalm 103, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And crowns you with love and compassion. All throughout the scriptures and really throughout history, a crown has been a symbol of authority. Whoever the crown rested on had the authority. And the Bible says that God has crowned you. God has given you authority. Question is, what has God given us authority for? I'd answer that today with this, that God has crowned us with authority to reign over sin and death with love and tender mercy. See, God pulled you out of sin and death so that you can reign in this life over sin and death. What God brought you out of, he wants you to reign over. And so God has brought you to a moment where you can reign over sin and death, where you have authority over sin. But we blow that. We blow it in this way. How does the Bible describe God crowning us with love and compassion, right? That's what our, our authority should look like. But how many times does our authority over sin look like we're angry and judgmental? We look at other people that we think are getting it wrong. And we're angry and judgmental because we feel like they're getting it wrong. That's not exactly how the Bible says it's supposed to go. We're supposed to be loving and compassionate and graceful. Romans 5.21. Just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, 
Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Just as sin ruled and it brought them to death, now grace rules. Grace. We've given authority, but y'all listen. If you're being judgmental towards other people, you're not living in the authority over sin that God wants you to live. If you have a hard time giving grace instead of loving compassion, you're not living in the kind of authority God wants you to live in. And the last benefit God satisfies us. God satisfies us. Proverbs 14, 14 says this. The the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. See, one of the greatest questions that we process every day is what is going to satisfy us. We think about it all the time. How many of y'all get done eating breakfast and you start, think, start thinking about what you're going to cook for dinner? How many of y'all do that? Right? I, I just need it. I want to be satisfied. How many of y'all get something new and you start immediately thinking about the next new thing that you want to buy? See, here's, here's the thing about it. All that stuff cannot satisfy you. The Bible actually tells us this. And if you look in this passage, I I want you to think about what what David actually says here. Who satisfies your desires with good things. Who satisfies your desires with good things. If you go to the original text, some of the, the translations that you might be looking at say, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Isn't it interesting that when the Bible talks about satisfying us, it doesn't talk about our hearts, that your heart will be satisfied Emotionally, you'll be filled up. Satisfy your mouth. Actually, the word that's used there is desire, mouth, is actually a word that was um, used to describe a bridle on a horse, a bit that would go into their mouth. Think about this with me. What is a bit on a horse, a bridle that fits on their mouth? What does that do? It gives the rider the ability to guide them. It's not any kind of mouth that the Bible is saying that God will satisfy, but a mouth that is being directed by the Holy Spirit. Our desires that are being directed by the Holy Spirit. Not every desire that you have is going to be fulfilled if it's not directed by the Holy Spirit, if it's not ordained by God. So I will tell you today that when we turn over the controls to your life. When you turn over the controls to your life, Jesus becomes your satisfaction. When you turn over the controls to your life, Jesus becomes your satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 5.10, I think is one of the most challenging verses in all the Bible. Because we live in a culture 
that has defined what's better by one word. Better is more. What's a better house? We have more room. What's a better car? We have more room. We have more horsepower. We have more. More speed. What's a better phone? It has more features. Whatever it is. We want more. But the Bible says that we can be satisfied. But look at what Ecclesiastes 5.10 says. He who loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. The Bible says if the word that you think about when you think about being satisfied is more, more will never satisfy you. So I want you to know today if maybe in the back of your bank account you're thinking, if I could only get a little bit more money, I'd actually be satisfied. I'd be, I'd be secure in that. If, if you're thinking, you know, if I could only get a little bit more love for my husband, if I could only get a little bit more affection from him, if you're the husband that's here and thinking, if I could only get a little bit more help out of, out of my wife, if you're the boss that's here thinking, if I could only get a little bit more work out of my employees, you're the employee that's here thinking, if I could only get a little bit more support from my boss, that little bit more is never going to satisfy you. As a matter of fact, I believe that you can be in a, a horrible work situation and be completely satisfied because your satisfaction doesn't come from your vocation. Let's go back to that verse that we opened with, John 15, 15, where Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. There's a big difference between a servant and a friend. Like I said earlier, I mean, you you can think about it in a a lot of the same ways. A lot of times, friends and servants do the same things. People who owe you a favor and people who love you. Their behaviors on the outside, but the inside's always a little bit different. I want you to understand something today, and this is not something that I included in the original series, but I want you to see this. That a servant, a servant is working to obtain something that a friend already has obtained. A servant is trying to get favor, to get reward. A servant is trying to gain position that a friend already has. And I think that there are some of us in our relationships with God, we've been trying to earn our way into his favor. And I want you to know today that God, through his friendship with you, has already given you everything you need. He would go far so far as to say that to us in 2 Peter 1.3, that by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself 
by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And when it comes to benefits, many of you own businesses or work in large organizations. You know this to be true. When you're filling out your little application, if you're a part-time employee, you don't get benefits. If you're a part-time employee, full-time employees get benefits, don't they? But that guy that comes in and works five hours a week or ten hours a week, he doesn't. I think maybe the same might be true for believers in Jesus. And there might be some of you that are here today who have been part-time believers. And you read that list of benefits and you go, that's just a bunch of bull. Because it's never been that way for me. I've never experienced the peace of feeling like God forgave me. I've never really lived in the reality that God can heal all my diseases. I've never known a God that would redeem me. I don't, I've never experienced living in authority over sin. And I've never really been satisfied simply with my relationship with Jesus. Maybe. Maybe the reality that's at work is that not that those benefits aren't real, but that you've been part-time. And maybe, maybe today's the day that you go full-time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the invitation to be your friend today. God, what a wonderful thing to be invited into. A relationship with the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, the, the Lord of Lords. Wow. God, we couldn't ask for any more than that. And today, God, we see that, that you, you've leveraged some remarkable benefits for those who are serving you and following you. God, and we ask that God, as we evaluate where we are today, that we would be honest. Many of us have never experienced that satisfaction that you talk about in Scripture. Some of us have never felt the forgiveness of your release from our sins. And today, God, I just ask you, God, would you please come and call us into that friendship for your glory? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a question today. Have you been part-time or full-time? given it all or have you been holding back on him so he gave everything for you so that you could be right with him he gave everything he was willing to lay it all down because he loved you that much our only response the only right response to that is to say God you have it all I'm tired of it here it is and God takes our sin. He takes our failure. 
He takes all of those things that are ugly and he gives us life. What a remarkable exchange. Maybe today you realize that you've been part-time and you need to go full-time. If that's you, raise your hand right now. That's me. I need to go full-time today. God, I need to, I need to stop, stop doing this on a part-time basis. God, I need to give you everything. Raise your hand if that's you. I see those hands. So God, for those of us that are here today that feel like we need to step into a full-time relationship with you, experience the benefits of your friendship, we just ask you to come and lead us, God, so that we can follow you more fully, we can experience your heart. I just want to ask one more question while every head is bowed and eyes closed. Today, if you're here and you recognize that you're not fully living in the benefits that God has designed for you to live in, but you want to, you want to give all of you, you want to experience the satisfaction of following God. Raise your hand if that's you. I want to live in the benefits of God. Awesome. Lots of us that are there today. God, we just ask you to come lead us into that relationship that David describes at the very beginning of Psalm 103. Don't let us forget it. Don't let our hearts or our souls walk away from that reality. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, We encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.